Hiya, pal. Got an idea. All right, mate, go on. I think we need to evolve the podcast. All right, what you got in mind? Well, why don't we just start recording all the chats we have when we're talking about leadership? Okay, what are we going to call it? Sense makers. Sense makers. Love it. And have we got a backer? Of course we have. Tsunami Sport. Quality. When are we starting? Now, get this end round and I'll put kettle on. Top man, I'll be round in five. Liz Cloak is the head of secondary at Tembe International School on the island of Penang, Malaysia. She began her career as a PE teacher and has moved up the leadership ladder with an attitude of taking every opportunity that is offered her way. She is passionate about stepping outside your comfort zone in the quest for continual improvement. Liz is an advocate for sport as a tool to expose students to leadership. She will talk today about her own journey of captaining her basketball team at school to working with inspirational leaders throughout her career and how both of these have shaped her own skills and values. So Liz, welcome to the show and Portsmouth to Penang, tell us a bit about that journey. Hi, thank you for having me on this morning. Uh, before I do talk about Portsmouth to, to Penang, I just want to say your podcast has been fabulous. Um, I've been listening to it since I think my first one last September with Ian Deeth was my first one um, and I picked up uh, I met Ian on, on my uh, PE journey in uh, KL but picked up a really good um, point from him which was about being um, having a positive start to your meetings which I stole and use and um, to this day in my SLTs um, and then the other podcasts just some memorable ones because it's just about learning from it and taking inspiration and um, um, uh, Salis um, Steve Salis how could I forget him? Um, fantastic um, talking about, I think, it, I can't remember, was it the, the D class teachers? He never wanted yeah. to, was it D class? Yeah. No, so entertaining that, yeah. podcasts. And then just recently, I, I'm well, just last week, I listened to uh, Mike Gilmore uh, and he was talking about his book and the power of rapport and sort of going a deeper level, I suppose, in what I'm all about in terms of the connection side. So really interesting podcast. So thanks for the series and looking forward to more. Thanks very much, Liz. That was very kind of you. So my um, my journey from Portsmouth to Penang. Yeah, um, well, actually, my, my um, upbringing was in Basingstoke uh, in Hampshire. Some people are going, oh, uh, <laughs> but I, I was... I was there from, you know, the, the day I was born and I, I won't start there because that will bore everyone by the time I get to uh, my past 40s now. Uh, but I was really lucky because our family home was very close to a sports complex. It was a quick ride on my bike, um, 10 minutes in the car, the long way around. But I, I was fortunate enough as I was going through sort of junior school to find a love for sport. And I, I even remember being the PE cupboard monitor at junior school. Oh, I tell you <laughs> what, it... that's, that's quite a time. <laughs> should, should be on my CV, shouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I always had a love of sport, even, even then, and um, got involved with, you know, playing football down the park with the boys. And uh, as I got to the end of junior school, I was running and jumping and throwing at the athletics club at the sports complex. So we'd head off there and, and my younger sisters too. And then um, as I got to secondary school, there was the 
um, you know, it was open, it opened up to more sports, um, more activities, uh, and I just absolutely loved it and um, found a real passion. It got to um, a point where I was um, going for the trial for the basketball team. And it was girls basketball at my school that was massive. It was huge. Um, and that's what Richard Aldworth was about, basketball. And um, it was a teacher who I'm still in contact um, now. He's, I think he's recently had his 70th birthday. Um, but he was the head of special educational needs at the school. So nothing to do with the PE team, but he ran the girls basketball team. And there were girls that were above me in year eight, year nine, year 10, year 11. Well, it actually was called um, first year, second year back in those days. But um, I remember watching the girls training at lunchtime and wanting to be what they would do or do what they were doing. And uh, there were girls in that were training at lunchtimes and representing the school team who were also representing the county, um, Southwest England, and also the England teams as well. So they were sort of my aspiration um, and inspiring for all of those girls that were going to those trials. Anyway, I got through the trials and um, I ended up doing pretty well. And I was playing above my age groups um, during my, my school sort of career. I got selected for Hampshire, um, the county team. And then I also got selected for the Southwest England team. And through my love of sport, um, and I suppose just watching and learning from others, I was captaining the school, uh, sorry, captaining not just the school team, not just the Hampshire team, but also the Southwest England team. And we went to Lillishaw uh, National Sports Centre to uh, play against the other uh, regions. And that was where I met, um, you know, the, the creme de la creme, if you like, of the the girls playing basketball at that, that time in that age group. And it was, again, like really eye-opening in terms of I want to play like them, I want to be like them, I want to be able to uh, lift that trophy. We didn't quite win the trophy. I think we came third out of the four in, in one of the years that I went. But from there, you got selected to play for the national team. So at that point, I was still at school. I had... Then just after my GCSEs, I'd got, not scouted as such, but there was obviously lots of connections between the basketball um, coaches across the, the region. And I was then asked to travel up to play National League, which was my, my nearest club, which was Spelthorne Aces, just in Middlesex. So I was travelling up and down the M3 uh, twice a week for training and then also to play on the weekends. And that could have been anywhere across the country. Again, stepping up to that level, I was meeting and connecting with other girls who were um, very inspirational. I, my, my team at Spelthorne, we had the captain who was also the England captain at the time. She, you know, worked hard um, she, you know, got everybody else motivated to, to play um, their best, uh, train at their hardest, train at their best. And it just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, so I ended up uh, going to college, but college was sort of um, masked a little bit by <laughs> too much basketball, perhaps. <laughs> Um, and that didn't go quite to plan in terms of the A-levels, um, but we can come back to that and I don't mind sharing. Um, <laughs> and then 
I was playing under 18 England and under 18, oh, sorry, under 23 England. And I was in the squad there. So again, lots of traveling around the country, playing with and against some fantastic players. Um, some who were looking at scholarships to go off to America, which was, it wasn't my dream, but that was like, wow. Um, and then at when I got to the end of my A-levels, I had a slightly different path uh, because of those results. And I no regrets whatsoever. Uh, I didn't go, I had two, uh, I had Loughborough and I had uh, Brighton University, but down at Eastbourne to go off and uh, study there. But <laughs> didn't quite work to plan. And uh, I ended up having three years before I went to university. And in those three years, um, I think it was Phil Maith, math that you interviewed just recently who was um to do with paper sales well <laughs> i ended up um doing some i was a paper consultant um, whatever that means uh, but i was a paper consultant before i was a paper consultant i went into uh, being a fitness instructor so straight from college i got over the, the tears and oh my gosh i'm not going to go here or there and i wasn't going to go through clearing and my parents said redo your a-levels at night school and, and go and get yourself a job. So I went off to, uh, well, word of mouth, um, I ended up being a fitness instructor, doing all my qualifications there. I was doing exercise classes, personal training, aerobic circuits, um, which I loved. But at the same time, I was still playing basketball and doing night school. Well, <laughs> the basketball was on the same night as my night school. So I used to go to the start of the night school at the local tech college. And then I used to slope off at the break and go and play basketball. <laughs> uh, so I hope there's none of my students who are listening uh, to this. <laughs> um, but then it got to the point where I was doing sort of shift work and it wasn't particularly sociable. It was really taking its toll in terms of my, I was working, I was doing the early shift on a Saturday and then trying to play National League and it was just, it, it, I was tired. And um, so I then carried on part-time with the fitness instructing and the circuits and the aerobics and actually earning more money than what I was when I was doing it on a full-time basis. Uh, but then I ended up being a paper consultant working nine to five on the phones, um, speaking to printers, speaking to, to designers. Um, and it, I was about a year and a half into that. And I was just like, no, this isn't, this isn't for me. So I wanted, to, I wanted something different. I, I didn't want to be sat at a desk all day. And uh, I, I went to university. I was at Manchester Met, Crewnow Sager, which has got a fantastic reputation for PE teaching, although that's not what I did. I did business management and sports science to start with. And then it was only during my sporting interests. I was playing football for Crewnow Sager. We were beating Loughborough. You know, they were the top team at the time. And I was playing basketball as well. Um, and it was only sort of... Um, hanging out and playing um, socially with those um, teams, that there were loads of, um, loads of PE teachers that were um, there and it was just, their, their course sounded fantastic. And I suppose back at school, I was inspired by my PE teachers and my love of sports sort of took me through. Um, but it was always something that someone had, always something people had said, you'll be a PE teacher, you'll be a PE teacher. And I was like, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. But I didn't actually know what I wanted to do. So it was only towards the end of my degree 
that I decided that I was going to pursue um, a PGCE in secondary PE teaching, which is what I did after I had a quick round the world trip um, traveling. And <laughs> so it was four years before I started my PGCE um, directly after about that. Anyway. Uh, and then, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I was at Chichester University down on the South Coast doing my PE teaching, had a couple of great placements. And then my first actual PE position was at a fantastic um, school. Well, I say fantastic school, tough school in a city Portsmouth, uh, but a fantastic department. And again, I, I came in and I was mentored and inspired and I learned so much from those uh, colleagues who, some of who I'm still in contact with now. And uh, then I, I suppose that was sort of the start. I did four years there, picking up loads of um, sort of tools. And I know others talk about a toolbox, um, but yeah, loads of stuff in my tool, toolkit. Then I went off to Thailand for two years. I was given a sabbatical. So I got two years to go out and be a PE teacher um, at one of the um, international schools in Thailand. Went back after the two years, uh, which was the right thing to do, but Thailand was fantastic, loved, loved every moment. Went back, did four years at the same school, although I would say it was a very different school. We had a different head at that point coming in, lots of um, staff turnover, and it was changing quite um, dramatically. But I had my opportunity there to step up into middle and then senior leadership in that time. Then I got itchy feet again, and it was after four years um, that I decided that it was either buy a house, get a dog, settle down, um, or... <laughs> pack everything up into I think it was seven boxes and uh, move to Kuala Lumpur and and that's the, the what I decided to do <laughs> and here I am now <laughs> wow what a journey that there's, a, there's, a, there's a book in that Liz definitely <laughs> so, world, yeah. is it the world's most reluctant student and teacher by <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably too, a few too many secrets coming out there and I know you said brief but you know that the start from sort of junior school and talking about the sport and I yeah. I love I love PE teaching and no regrets about going earlier because I do think my travels around the world my experiences in school um sorry experiences in the two jobs that I had um sort of helped make me the person that I am and um, helped me get that job um, in yeah. Portsmouth, definitely. I've been told that since. Um, more mature, apparently. Um, <laughs> but just the life experiences that I could contribute to the job and not going in um, straight from school to college to university to then a job. Uh, I had, you know, something about me which um, yeah. they liked. And, yeah. And then everybody's got their own story, Liz, and it's just lovely to... To, to listen to that story of, of where you've come from it gives the gives the listeners a real background into who you are and I thought that was brilliant I've ju just finished a book and and I don't know if you, you can't really see it on screen I don't think it's it's oh, called yeah. the how elite athletes are made by Mark Williams and Tim Wigmore and some of the things you talked about there just resonated completely and I've just made some notes that I'll share it's about failure driving success it's about playing above or working above your age level. It's about accessibility and opportunity. It's about being around great coaches and inspirational people and playing with people that are better than you. And it, and it talks about that in this book, how 
that's how successful elite people, not just in sport, but in, in yeah. life are made through experience. And, and, and you've just talked about that there and you touched upon values, Elizabeth. So how, how, how do we values, how were your values created through that point? And, and just share with our listeners what your core values are. Yeah, I've been doing quite a lot of, um, I suppose, research and reading around core values. And I felt at the beginning of my headship in particular, five years ago, I was sort of forced into you should have core values and you should know this. Well, actually, um, more recently in the last year or so, I think I've cemented my core values. And the two, and to be honest, going, going back, even if I hadn't written them down and cemented them, they still are my core values even back then which are to do with um, connection and and also discovery so the discovery of, of learning the discovery of new places the discovery of different people and then the connection side of things is is about myself it's about colleagues it's about um students the parents it's beyond school beyond um my my school's group it's going into Twitter and connecting further and, and taking those opportunities. And, and all of the opportunities that have been presented to me um, have been connecting, but also allowing me to discover um, different things, different pathways. Um, and that's where, where I am in terms of my core values. Often, um, oftentimes the core values that we have are very much derived from those childhood experiences that we have and the things that were impressed upon us. So I'd be interested to know how connection and discovery really link back to that time, maybe where you were skipping in high school classes and going off to play <laughs> basketball or, or where you were playing with those elite basketballers or where you felt maybe a little bit intimidated to start with and then how they helped you move that on. Can you, can you give us some idea of where they, they come from, those two? Yeah, I mean, when you said about intimidation, um, when I first stepped up and, you know, playing above my age group and you've got people that are in your age group that are like oh she's playing up you know and she's this and she's that and that's something to contend with and and that sort of resonates I suppose in terms of going from teacher to middle leader to senior leader as well and when you're working with the same uh, colleagues and, and how they're going to um, uh, perceive you and, and how you're going to deal with that situation um, I think the connection side of things, it again, stepping up into the next age group and then stepping up into National League, it was in, intimidating. Uh, I am a optimistic um, person. I am, I, I am a, a radiator rather than a drain. I am a, a smile rather than a, a grumpy face. And I'm consistent with, with, with all of those. And I think that has helped me connect with other people uh, and connecting other, with other people that are similar in terms of their hard work um, their ethics towards um, life in general, talking about, you know, celebrating their successes um, when you're two points down in a basketball game and, and you're being taken off the, the court, but high five to the person coming on instead of you um, and making sure that, you know, it, I'm learning from the, the defeats and also the successes, the wins through the basketball team. And I think that brings you together, um, those successes, but also the failures too. And that can be together within a team, wherever you are, whether it's sport or whether it's in 
in, in schools or if something hasn't worked quite as you wanted it to and you're reflecting on how you can get better and there's a, a common purpose in basketball it was you know winning but also getting better every time and for, for me in school it's it my driven purpose is about making sure that we're giving the best opportunities um, to our students and making sure that the students are getting the best deal that we possibly can and we you know, in five years, um, we, we've got better and better as we've gone through that process. Um, and we will continue to get better by reflecting and, you know, bringing different skills and making sure that we've got different skills, but the, the mindset is all about the students. Yeah, and that idea of getting the best opportunities for the students, you know, I think there are there are connections there in terms of what you've told us about your journey and taking opportunities yourself. I'm really interested to know how you frame those opportunities. So the intimidation that you had when you went into those basketball arenas and, and those gyms and that hard work when no one was watching and you you're around bigger girls and stronger girls and faster girls and better girls. And then you talked and I, and I really like the idea of, of the phrase playing up. Um, being applied to you move from being a PE teacher into middle leadership into senior leadership and, and into being a head of school. How do you frame those challenges, Liz? How, how do you see those as opportunities? How do you see that, that that's something that you want to move forward with and that you want to make progress with without feeling particularly intimidated or without letting it, that get the better of you? Mm, I think um, from past experience, when, it, when I was, I say, just a PE teacher, and I were no no other responsibilities. I, I I literally, when I was a PE teacher, I wanted to be the best PE teacher that you could possibly be. Well, I, Steve I had... Salis would love that comment. <laughs> <laughs> don't be rubbish. Oh, in fact, I don't think he put it like that. I think he swore in his. Uh... <laughs> that was my that was my aim. I, uh, and even now, I I don't have I didn't have an aspiration to be a head of secondary. Um, but I, I think the connections that you have and, and what you see and what you observe in schools and the opportunities that are given to you. And, and I, I'd like to say I was definitely not a D-class teacher. I wasn't rubbish. <laughs> and I think when you have got other people around you that see your potential and see the opportunities that you would be good at could take up make a difference within that school then they're going to give those to you and it was even you know taking I, I, I introduced sports days we only in a city school we were very very uh, limited in spaces I introduced sports day which seems ridiculous doesn't it as a you know a new, newly qualified teacher coming in introducing sports days but that's what I did and it, it's still running um, with a few tweaks to how it was God knows how many years ago, 17, 18 years ago, uh, apart from obviously with COVID uh, coming along. But there was also the assemblies that I ran that I linked and connected with uh, my travels. So I, I shared, you know, I, I remember stepping up, I, I'd done this presentation and I'd done my round the world trip and I wanted to share that with my um, students. And I did a, a, an assembly with um, the year group and, you know, sharing what you could do beyond the, you know, the bubble of Portsmouth and, and trying to see what, what you could do to expand other people's um, horizons, I suppose. And I think those connections there with other like-minded colleagues 
or um, like-minded coaches or players, it gives you the opportunity to be able to play up and prove what you can do, um, whether it's to yourself or whether it's to other people. And I still get nervous for assemblies. Um, and, you know, and I think that's, a, that, that's caring. That's caring because you want to do the best job and you want to make sure that you get your message across. And um, you don't so, want to yeah. Be rubbish, right? Sorry? <laughs> you don't want to be rubbish. No, exactly. <laughs> you, you mentioned just then, Liz, that the others seeing your potential is important. And I, th- I think there's a hell of a lot of power in that. And you talked about wanting to prove yourself, but being around like-minded people that do it. How important is that environment um, for you to feel empowered and to feel like you've got the support and you've got people around you that really fancy you to go on and do well and really want to support you to do that? Yeah, I think really important. I think hopefully that's how people see me um, in terms of giving opportunities. Um, and I, I talk just in my, my blog that I wrote um, this week, um, talk about leading from the bench as well. Uh, and at sometimes it's it's about talent spotting isn't it it's about knowing your strengths and your areas that you're not so good at and being able to um empower your team um or individuals into getting them on court and if you can get them on court at that moment when you need them to go out and step up and you know not win necessarily but when you're talking about it in school context that they are delivering, leading, but you don't have to, but you can still motivate, you can still inspire, you can still guide from the bench. And I think that's important. Um, And I I want to encourage our um, younger leaders or our aspiring leaders um, to step into those opportunities and and try and develop a a wider skill set, but also try to share with them. it's a bit of vulnerability I suppose coming from me it's that that's how I feel too and and when people are stepping up to do an assembly for the first time or they're stepping up to deliver in a parent forum that uh, for the first time that I'm also feeling a little bit like that and that's okay um so it's you know I do go out there with an an air of um confidence because you have to (laughs) but there's still self-doubt going on um and I'm trying to put that to the side and it's you know one voice saying this and another voice saying that um and I think a lot of people have that and it's about quieting that voice that is saying you can't do this you're rubbish (laughs) to the one saying yeah you can do it get out of there in the arena give it a go and other people will hopefully be inspired or influenced by you to follow and do the same. We're all selling something, aren't we, Liz? That's what was yeah. one of the common themes coming out of the last few weeks with Phil and, and, and with Mike. It, it's a really interesting concept and you are almost putting on a face, aren't you? And you, you're getting up there and you're performing all the time. Now, I, I read your blog from this weekend. It, it, it's great. And you called it about leadership superpowers, is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned one of them, Liz. You mentioned leading from the bench. You've got you've got six others. You've got learning about you. You've got going beyond education. You've got being you and authentic, listening to others you admire, asking for help, and looking after you. Are they in any particular order? Or are they are they just a mixed match? <laughs> Give yeah. us a bit more on those. Yeah, I think I think I. I 
I could have gone with a lot more in terms of what I have learned on this, particularly the last five years. It's It's been an incredible journey and I wouldn't, as I say, I wouldn't change it for the world. It's been insane at times, um, particularly in the first sort of, um, I suppose, first term, if not first year. <laughs> um, and then particularly, obviously, same with a lot of other leaders when we went into our first MCO uh, last year. Um, and, and that was incredibly taxing um, too um, on, you know, leading, but also trying to get that, that balance of, of looking after myself. Um, and maybe the number seven, I think, is um, your well, my well-being and, you know, yeah, looking after right. you. Maybe that needs to be number one, uh, because as, you know, many people say, um, you, you can't look after other people if, you, if you're not 100% yourself. So maybe maybe that that should be number one um yeah leading from the bench that was um so it sort of coincides um i i'm reading beyond um education and it that's been a really good uh, useful piece of advice that i've taken on so i the the, the learning from the or leading from the bench analogy um came from abby wambach the um, olympian soccer player and um, she was talking about leading from the bench. Um, slightly different. Um, I think she was on the uh, Olympic stage at the time. So it wasn't quite me, but it was really interesting. And um, it, it made me think of what I had learned on, on my um, own sort of sporting journey uh, before coming into um, the bigger arena as such with the, uh, the headship. Uh, and then, yeah, I think the I, I've just just finished reading a book called Play, Playing Big, uh, and that's that's been really interesting. It's talking, it's actually talking. I'm gonna have to look see what it, it said because I, I my memory's terrible. But it's practical wisdom for women who want to speak up um, and lead, create and lead. And, you know, nothing to do with school, nothing to do with um, educational leadership at all. It's, but it was, lots of it was reminders, practical advice, what I should and shouldn't say, which I've probably broken a few rules today already. Um, <laughs> but, but reading outside, is, outside of education has been important for me. And Brene Brown has been a big influence. And I know she's been a, been a, been a big influence on, on other school leaders as well. But she has helped massively, particularly with my um, emotional intelligence, the EQ side of things and rumbling with vulnerability and, you know, not tapping out of difficult conversations, advising how you could go about a difficult conversation instead. Um, but also, you know, driving with self-confidence and daring greatly. And she talks about being in the arena and taking feedback from only those people that are also in the arena and when you are you know playing in front of however many people um, in the audience in, in basketball or whether it is you know stepping up and leading a school you've got people that are watching listening judging and you know you you can't please all the people all of the time unfortunately I, I'd like to, I'd like to be able to and I try my best to <laughs> But that's a tricky one. And, and that's been a learning curve in itself, taking um, the, the feedback, 
thinking about or processing what I need to change in terms of or, or adapt or learn about in terms of my emotional intelligence and moving forward. And, and that's been a, a big um, focus for me mm, well over a year now. So and, and that's changed me as a leader. We've been really fortunate in, in speaking to a number of female leaders across the episodes we've had, you know, just the ones that spring to mind straight away that speak so passionately about females in leadership positions, Rebecca Russell, Anna Power, Melissa Jacob, Helen Owens, Julie Stern we've had on, and a number of others who really make a, a plea for, for females to, to take that plunge and to be brave and to have a go. What's been your experience as a female in leadership and, and why is it that we don't see as many females in leadership as maybe we would want to and maybe they're not fairly represented in terms of proportions at the moment? What, what is it that we, we need to do to really encourage females to, to take that plunge and to have a go at leadership? Um, and, and why is it perceived that men find this quite easy or that, that they have a, a better chance at leadership? What's been your experiences around those? Um, my experience... Um has been really positive I have to say um I have been I mean in, within my senior leadership team on, on on our campus so on our campus we are I'm one of four schools so I lead the international secondary we've got an international primary we've also got a national primary and a national secondary and then um we have a principal who sits over the top so I know like each school is quite different on our senior leadership team, we we there's way more females than there are um, males. And before, when we had a male principal in Salis, um, it was the same. It was he, he was with all the, the ladies. Um, before that, it was very much um, male dominated. When I first arrived in Malaysia, and I've seen quite a significant shift. And I think that that is down to um, in my school's group in particular, I think it's being more internationally aware. Uh, we've got some really good leaders who've come in, not just from the, the UK, but other sort of, uh, we've got uh, Australia, the UK, South Africa, who are really pushing through to make sure that we're getting the best person for that job. And it's, <laughs> I, read, I read a lot in terms of the, the women who, when, you, when the job advert comes out, the women make sure that before they apply for that job, that they can tick all, let's say, 10 things on that job advert. Um, whereas the men will go, I can tick six, I'm going to apply for it. And I think we've got to do the job in, <laughs> you're nodding, Lewis. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just thinking it comes back maybe to that sort of idea earlier, what you said of being in the arena. Is there yeah. an assumption from what you said or maybe a perception from what you said of actually... It's just that maybe men historically have more of a, well, whether it's an opportunity or bravado or confidence, but more of something that says, well, I'm going to chuck myself into that situation and see what happens. Yeah, it, yeah, quite possibly that. And I, I think um, it's, it's up to us as educators to build the persona of women in leadership positions and, and giving them the opportunities at school uh, and, and to make sure that they leave us confident um, to be able to take up any kind of leadership mm -hmm. position. Yeah, I, can, I can speak for Alan here as well. We, we work with some incredible female leaders and, it, and it's, it's framing it in the way that you did there. Of you find the best person for the role and, and if you feel like you can 
you can tick some boxes on a job description, go for it. And it's changing that culture moving forward, isn't it? And, and mm. giving everybody the opportunity to say, well, it shouldn't matter. Um, of That's gender, it. And it shouldn't matter of a number of other aspects. If, if you feel you're good enough, have a go. Yeah, because it's also, um, again, listening to some of your podcasts, there was, it's, you you're not necessarily looking to tick all the boxes with the skills. It's more of the mindset and your personality. To, and then you can mould everything else and you can learn about the curriculum, can't you? And you can learn about X, Y, Z in a school, but you've got to make sure that that person fits and has those characteristics to be able to blend into that team, to connect with your, with your community. Yeah, for, for, for me and Alan, I think we, we're very much on the same page that that matters more than than the sort of superstar CV or, or the qualifications mm. and the experience. You know, once you get to that stage where you feel somebody's had enough experience or got those skills, actually what you're looking for is, is to look at the, the personal qualities and values of that person. And, and is that what you mean when you're referring to finding the best person for the job? You're not just trying to find somebody who fits in terms of, of knowledge and skills, but you're really also looking at that essential skills and uh, essential skill set of, of how this person really interacts with others, how they work as part of a team and what their personal sort of attributes are. Yeah, definitely. And I think you you know how difficult it is uh, just meeting people on Zoom and um, through the interview yeah. process and recruitment. But that's the way it is. And, uh, and you've got to find the best way to be able to recruit the best people for, for your job. We don't get always get it right. But what we have done um, more recently is having uh, changing our interview process so we've had now introduced just a, a half an hour chat um, very informal getting to know them they get to know us and and see how what the connection is and if, you know just so you can get a feeling for that person before you go into the you know the hard teaching and learning side of things tell us about xyz um what happens in your classroom um it's it's making that connection it's it's learning about their mindset it's about trying to find out about their learning and, and whether they've got the same core values as, as you and the school and and before you get into the nitty-gritty of whether they can teach in the classroom um obviously that helps as well <laughs> well i love that idea liz and we've talked about this a lot haven't we lewis about um how we could change the interview process to find out about the human characteristics Liz, give us some questions that you're asking that in that 30 minute slot to really find out about them. Oh, blimey. Um, lots of open questions. Um, hopefully they won't chat quite as much as I have them today. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. I'm not allowed to be negative about myself. <laughs> I'll get told off for that. Um, I think it's, oh, gosh. Um, I, do you know what? I haven't interviewed for over a year because this year we have had no um recruitment to, that we've had to do wow, no so we, yeah yeah so our our retention has been 100 percent this year it's been fantastic Incredible. um so yeah but obviously people are happy um and also covid as well i get that but yeah people are, are hanging on with us um for at least another year which is fantastic um yeah just it would be um literally like just getting to know them we would talk about penang because penang is quite um unique in a lot of ways um it, uh, you know we would even go down the point of asking with <laughs> this is a this is another uh, sorry to mention him again ian salis um ian salis would ask uh, <laughs> and it's important about um whether you're looking for love because coming to penang 
which is an island um, mostly uh, with retirees. <laughs> As a young teacher, a young single teacher, it's actually quite hard to meet other people. Um, we, we're lucky, enough, well, I say lucky enough, we've got, <laughs> lucky enough we've got more schools, but unlucky in terms of the competition, but more schools that are also recruiting um, younger um, sort of teachers. But compared to going to KL or Bangkok, where you may have a bigger expat community, if that's what you're looking for, or a wider range in terms of um, age groups, Penang's quite unique. So, you know, if you're looking for a city life, that's not what you get here. It's, you know, I quite like it. It's quite, you know, lazy um, in terms of laid back. And, uh, but yeah, lots of old people. Sorry, Penang. It's, it's a good question, Liz. It's a good question because you are trying to find the right fit, aren't you? And, and, mm. and if you feel as if they're going to be bored or they, they, they're not going to be performing at their best. That's and, right, and that's yeah. It, yeah. Is it looking at things like... Uh, uh, what inspires you and see what lights up in their eyes when they're talking about that is it about what frustrates you and then seeing if they're see, see how their body language sort of comes across is that the sort of thing we're looking at when we're trying to find out about them yeah I think so and it's also just trying to find out a little bit about them like why why Penang why why our school sort of it that gives you a good insight to see whether they've done the research in the first place or whether it's you know the 15th or 16th um, interview and you know that they're still sort of searching um, but it's also about what their their values are I suppose in terms of the the learning so maybe um, when was the last time you, you experienced new learning how did it feel uh, trying to get sort of a sense of how they would fit into our culture of learning at school and the language that we use uh, and then, yeah, sharing what we're about as well. And I think, you know, we're, we're not the, the, our reputation has definitely grown in terms of 10 billion, um, but we're not the, the prestigious school um, that you'll find in other cities. Uh, and we're, you know, we're, we're competing out there with other big schools, other big schools that have got um, very um, uh, historical reputations perhaps and we think that our leadership style the leaders the people the culture inside it is really important for us to be able to share as a selling point you know if you if you come and work at our school you'll get a completely supportive leadership team there'll be cpd to support your growth and your development as a teacher or as a leader we're part of a bigger schools network group now of ISP, which is global and we're over 50 schools. So there's opportunities further afield. So just trying to get sort of their scope on what they want to, to do now, but also what they want to do in three years, five years time. If, if, you know, I didn't know that I wanted to do what I wanted to do, but, you know, other people have got something a little bit firmer in mind. Um, and, and it's just about the chat, I suppose. I think, that, I think that's so underrated, that idea of the chat. Because I think this brings you back around to the idea of you trying to get the best person in the role. And I think that it's often forgotten um, that there's a, there's a person behind the skill set, there's a person behind the essential skills, and there's a person with their own life outside the school. And I really like that idea of trying. I think, I think I'd be really interested to hear how it's perceived by the interviewee afterwards when the principal does pry into their private life a bit and ask about you know, whether they're married or they're single, do they, what are their plans around that? Why would they want to move to Penang knowing that maybe that's an older retiree population? I think all these things are really, really relevant 
and so important to address. And maybe you could tell a lot from the interview's reaction of, of how they perceive that and whether they feel like you've crossed the professional line. I know Brené Brown talks a lot, doesn't she, about boundaries. And yes, she admits that's herself right. that she, she constantly oversteps them. And, and I do. I, yeah. I, I make that mistake <laughs> quite often. But with the best intentions of trying to be able to provide and to support people as best they can. Yeah. But, but some people don't like that. Some people want that professional boundary and that line of, well, I'm coming here yeah. for a job. Why are you asking me about those things? Yeah. What, what kind of responses do you get? Um, I think it varies. I think just sort of following on from what you've said, um, I think coming onto the international circuit is very different. Um, you know, I think you've got senior leaders who are friends with middle leaders, teachers. I think it all crosses over because we're all in this like bubble together, if you like. And so there are friendships on a personal um, level as well as a professional level. And I think that's quite different and I think that takes some getting used to if you're coming directly out of the UK it's not always like that of course but you're, you're a bit limited to start with until you find your feet a little bit in a new place um, how people respond um, some people again will, will laugh and you know you have a great chat um, about whether they are looking for love or not or or what you know a little bit more about um, their choices and what they are looking for because you know I, I came out to Kuala Lumpur uh, I'd never lived in a big city before um, so that was quite daunting for me and actually the first six months it took me yeah six months it took me to sort of get used to living in such a big city finding my feet at school but also finding my feet around where I was living and what I was doing so coming to Penang um, I think for some people it's it's easier um, because it's not so big and it's not so daunting and you can you know walk out your front door um, and there are pavements that you're not going to fall down and, and break a leg you know <laughs> and you can ride your bike without being knocked knocked off it on the highway etc so it's it's trying to find out a little bit more about them and about you and I think an interview at that point we decided was that it's about them interviewing us as much as them as us interviewing them um, and we try and make sure that that's clear and you know if if they get to the end of that call and they think oh no they've they've delved a little bit too much into uh, our my personal life or you know it wasn't quite what I was expecting then maybe it isn't the right place for them and, and vice versa but we've had some excellent recruitments Excellent recruitment, that's not the right word, is it? Um, we have recruited really, really um, positively in the last couple of years. And um, yeah, people have settled in really well. And I think that change has, uh, has made a, a positive impact in, in our recruitment strategy. Yeah, I like that idea of, you know, you're almost, you're showing your cards and you're saying, listen, we care about you as a person and we are going to sort of, try and find out what's happening in your personal life to support you. And like, like you said, I, I didn't see it from that angle of, of an interviewee then going away and thinking, well, actually that, that's stepping over a boundary for me. Uh, maybe that place isn't for me. And then, then that's a great outcome for, for both the school and the person. Yeah, because yeah, at the end of the day, you want them to settle. You don't want them here just for two years. Hopefully they will, you know, if, if it's the right fit, then they'll be here for, you know, four years, six years longer potentially, which is generally what happens here because it's such a great place. So if we find the right person, the right match. Yeah, well, you're obviously doing an absolutely cracking job. 100% retention in an international school is just unheard of. 
Wow, yeah. I was I was reading a, an article um, by a, a principal of Kellogg School who's quite active on Twitter yes. and LinkedIn, Mark Steed, and he was talking about how a great sort of um, retention, sorry, a great turnover rate would be between 7 and 12%. Obviously, yeah. depending on the number of teachers, that number would differ, but from the size of your school to, to have a 100% retention rate, it's clearly working, you know, investigating yeah. and stepping over maybe a few people's boundaries and trying to find out what kind of person <laughs> yeah. they are is, 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 is working for Tenley, and that's great, you know, that's it. Is. <laughs> Right, um, Liz, we're going to start winding it down into the uh, the fun questions at the end. And I, I'm, I'm sure, sure you're, you're heavily prepared for it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> so your three leaders, Liz, any, anybody from from past history or people you've worked with who you, you'd love to go out on a dinner day and you'd have a good chat, who would they be? Yeah, I, now I I, um, I had a good, good thinking time about this one. Um one of them came straight to mind uh, and then I thought, right, okay, I'm going to look into them a little bit more. So I did a bit of research as a, as a um, response here. So my, my three top leaders, my first one would be Jacinda. So I've gone all female, all female. Um, so she, you know, I think she's inspirational. She leads with kindness, empathy. She's not afraid to lead in this way either. And um, she has been commended for acting quickly. Um, so their COVID rates of, you know, pretty much zero, I think, and um, they've done really well. But she also acknowledges her team whenever she's talking about them. It's always a we, it's never an I, it's very collective with that. And, and that helps her connect. And I just think she's inspirational as a, a human being. So she, she would be um, number one. Then I've got Michelle Obama. Uh, and I did have Barack to start with but I switched it um to Michelle and uh, <laughs> and and she's just sort of created her own path hasn't she um behind Barack but not behind Barack and I think again just inspirational she can motivate she's honest the way that she speaks to an audience is just wow um but she also stands up very much for her values and, and yeah so she would be there I think um within our um meeting our, our, our table I think she would just be hilarious as well um, I think she'd have loads of great um, stories that she could share and then chose, I've got I think chose the right Obama from reading, reading <laughs> Michelle's and Barack's books Michelle's definitely in charge right <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yeah very captivating I, I, I think we testify to that kids and I think the wife's in charge eh? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then my third is um Megan Rapino, um, and, and I sort of toyed with Abby Wambach, having read her book recently, Wolfpack. But I've gone Megan Rapino, um, just because um, she is just using her voice um, through her successes on the football pitch um, to, and she's just the platform to be able to speak out, and she she just refuses to be silenced, doesn't she? She she's just. You know, she's act, she's act, um, her activism on um, equal pay within the, the football um, uh, game uh, to make sure the racial justice, the LGBT that she's standing up against. Uh, and it's just fantastic. Uh, and of course, her, her pink hair is just making her you know, stand out from <laughs> the crowds, too. That helps, doesn't it? <laughs> but yeah, she's, she's inspirational. Well. She's a decent footballer. Yeah, yeah. 
But I think, you know, she's, she's inspiring the younger generation as well. And, you know, she's, she's out there and she's changing people's minds, which is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, great three choices. Louis to finish. Tell us what you're reading. Is it any good? Oh, OK. Um, so I, I haven't I'm not actually reading anything in particular right this moment. But as I mentioned earlier, I have just finished um, the book that is called um, Standing, Standing Big. Standing Big by Tara Moore, I think it's called, Tara Maher. Um, and that was, that's all about practical wisdom for women who want to speak up, create and lead. And it, the book is just full of, on my Kindle, it's just full of highlights. <laughs> I might as well read the book again. Do you ever go back yeah. and read the highlights from the Kindle? Because I, I get in the habit of doing some really good highlights and thinking, I'll go back and read that, never do. Oh. I've never ever read my highlights. I'd be quite honest. <laughs> I know, I know. That, 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 do you know what? If this carries on for another two years, maybe we'll get round to it. This yeah. <laughs> that's why It'll I bought that. That's why I bought that electronic scribble book, so I don't have to highlight anymore. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just an adult <laughs> etcher sketch that Alan. You need to grow up, mate. I know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Liz, last one to finish. Um, if you, if you were to have a a billboard by a busy road, what would you write on the billboard? Now, thinking about this one, this is probably my trickiest, um, and it's nothing original, but I've got it hanging in my office as one of my, I've got four like posters that I framed um, with quotes, and it would be, work hard, play hard, be kind. And I know that's not original, but I just think it, that, that's me, that's what I think people should do. <laughs> I think that's a really nice way to sum up our conversation as well and, and the journey that you've been on. You've clearly worked incredibly hard and I presume played hard. Um, and and, and, and it, obviously kindness is up there. You've mentioned that several times in terms of your values. Liz, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Keep for listening to Sensemakers brought to you by the Infinite Learners podcast and backed by Tsunami, the number one ego kit provider for schools worldwide. You can learn more about Tsunami by, by visiting tsunami-sport.com and if you want to hear more from the Infinite Learners, you can find us on your favourite podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you.